Love you, Marco. Uh, more impressions, please. <laughs> I like your stuff. It's much more spicy and interesting. Where the hell did that come from? Oh, I love you, Marco. Oh, my God. You're a great interviewer, great conversationalist. I just never forgot you. <laughs> Babble Bullshit and Beyond is a new podcast hosted by me, Marco Kiris. A man coming out of the shadows after a long decade working with Nicolas Cage, or as I like to call it, my cage wage world. Just some fluff and then some stuff on the party that unites us through pop and all things Hollywood. On today's show, we have Jed Seidel, television writer and producer for hit shows like Gilmore Girls, Veronica Mars, Ghost Whisperer, and Nash Bridges. We caught up with him on hiatus in the Hollywood Hills. Today's podcast, we have Jed Seidel, a, a TV Hollywood writer and producer uh, from Los Angeles, who is with us for this particular episode. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm thrilled to have you, and I mean sincerely thrilled to have you on. I, I just, you know, it's, it's kind of hard. This kind of like I have pages of stuff I want to say, but I'm going to really limit it down. Um, how are you doing during this? Uh, what I would call a um, an infinite COVID time. I'm doing okay. It's hard for me to complain. I mean, I'm glad I'm in LA. You know, it's yeah. a good, LA is a good place to be. Um, you know, there's nature here, so I try to get out in nature with my dog and stuff. Things are fine. I, I I feel horrible for what's going on in general. You know, I mean, the one issue that's that's bugging me now is sort of like we've been under house arrest for you know three months, and now we're really under house arrest. Like we can't, you know, they have a curfew at six, and they keep you know sending messages on my phone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's getting to me a little bit, but I, but I'm fine. How are you guys doing? Uh, fine. We're in that, we're not in the same curfew, but we're in a curfew. We're in a lockdown, uh, not for the very, very current events, but for the COVID events. Yeah. I've, I've heard it's, it's more restrictive there for it my is. friend that lives in Montreal. Yeah. Toronto is much more restrictive than Montreal. Like we're still not getting uh, dental care or physiotherapy or, or haircuts or anything. I mean, it's shut down to at least July. So it's been since March. So it's been like three months. I just shaved, I just shaved my own head. Yeah. Me, it's just, you know, I'm all about my hair products. So, uh, I'm going to kind of confess that I illegally went and got a haircut at a hair salon that I'm not going to mention, uh, way out in the burbs, uh, through a contact. And if the place was packed, it was all very social distancing. And I did, I did the whole thing, wore a mask the entire time. The hairdresser wore a mask. We had gloves on. We did everything by the rules, but it was a very busy time. It was only open on the weekends um, because during the weekday, they have police monitoring around. So they have these like sheets over these shops and then they only let you in one by one in the door. And then there's a back alley door too. So Really good hairdressers, all Italian and stuff. And uh, but I went in, I did my thing, and I'm like, I had to get a haircut. So this is a week old now. So I'm thrilled. I think our 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 haircutting places were supposed to open up again, but then everything seems to be shut down because of the the riots. Yes, and there there have been some in pretty close to my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I was on the phone with a few friends of mine yesterday in uh, in Santa Monica and in Beverly Hills, and uh, they're kind of like in personal lockdown because they're very close to what was going on. 
So it's uh, it's not good to hear, especially when you know people. But uh, just generally speaking, it's shocking. You know, you only get bits and pieces when you're on the news. But who knows what it's like? We've never. Last time I lived through that was in '92 when I was living in LA, and I lived very close to the riots at La Cienega and uh, Santa Monica at the time. It had more of an impact on me then uh, because of the neighborhood I was living in, and I remember driving home from work during those riots, and like people were looting from Sears and it's like, there was no way I lived on Vermont mm-hmm. and there was no way to get out of traffic or circumvent it. So, you know, you just have all these people like coming towards you carrying, you know, TVs or whatever. So wow. that was a, that's a very vivid memory of that time. This, this time I've, I've kind of, you know, avoided that stuff. Wow. And, and I think that, you know, we're a little older now and we've kind of seen a lot of terrible things in our lifetimes that could kind of, you know, it kind of desensitizes us to a certain degree, though we're still emotional about it. Uh, I remember the 90, I left after the 92 rise, a couple of months after that, I thought I couldn't take it anymore. Just, it felt like the world was crumbling and I was too young to live in, in a foreign land, which was a foreign land. And then I moved back to Canada just cause I felt a lot safer even though the economic spectrum here was horrible, um, I just felt at least safe back home with the parents, you know. So, Jed, you're on what what would I consider it now a hiatus or do you actually still work? No, I'm on hiatus right now. Okay. All right. As, as many friends of mine are, but I don't really know any many writers who are on hiatus. Um, Jed, you've been around and writing for what seems to be at least 30 years. Is that correct? Yeah, it's close to that. It's close to that. It's a, the first real like paid professional writing job I had was in 94. So that makes 26 years. But, I, you know, I've been in the business for longer than that. Wow. And, and I'm going to guess that you've always wanted to become a writer because uh, you obviously excelled and, and have done so many TV shows. I'm almost ready to call you a TV Hollywood legend writer just because of the amount of work you've done consistently. Sure. Sure. I'll take that. Yeah. But I mean, realistically, without, <laughs> like, without, you know, blowing your horn. I mean, when you look at the credits, when you see the amount of work, I don't know how you've had any time off. This is probably the only time off. And at least, uh, you know, Ghost Whisperer, Veronica Mars, Dawson's Creed, Gilmore Girls, and so forth and so forth. Like it's, it's a, and these are big hit shows. Like everything's been out. Yeah. Hit you I feel, I, I feel lucky. I feel, I, I was in the right place at the right time on a lot of shows. And, you know, it's, it's fun when you're in the, when you see a show from the beginning, I've been in a few shows, the first season. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's kind of fun to see these shows come together that later become hits. Cause it, I mean, it's, it's an, always an insane time because you're always trying to figure out what the show is and what the tone is. And, you know, unless someone has a really specific vision, um, which someone like, like Amy Sherman Palladino of, uh, Gilmore girls, mm-hmm. Amy had a very specific vision of what that show was. So she knew and set the tone for that show, you know, from the beginning, but other shows I've been on, you know, like ghost whisper for a long time, we were just trying to figure out what the show was and hmm. what the tone was, was a, you know, mystery, a comedy, you know, scary, you know, and then it sort of became all those things. Yeah. And it became a big hit. Yeah. At the same time. And the Gilmore girl. So do you follow her lead is, is what you guys do. I'm guessing that there's like a group of writers working on the characters and the, the premise of the show. Uh, in addition to a yeah. head writer, would it be very much, very Alan Brady ish with a head writer and, and then the other writers are part of that group? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I brought up that I, I brought up Gilmore Girls as an example because Amy is one of those people that that has a very very specific idea of what she wants, and then and then you just as a writer you just have to fall in line, hmm. you know, and kind of and kind of uh, write her vision of the show, which is you know different than other shows I've been on where, you know, it's more about the theme of the show, like, you know, being on a cop show like Nash Bridges, Mm -hmm. like that show, it was like more you're servicing a star, you know. Well, how does that work then for you? Do you feel like you can still create Jed like you normally could? Or do you really feel like you're servicing the star? I mean, you think that was shot in San Francisco, right? Yeah. I mean, he had a lot of influence on what we did because he because he was a star and because he had been on Miami Vice and, you know, had been a movie star and whatever. Yeah. So he, he had a lot of power on that show, you know, but that's, you know, I mean, that, that was really my first, like my first staff job and that job lasted for five seasons. So, you know, I think things actually changed as the show went on and, and some power was taken away from him. Um, cause it, it just got a little bit out of control. Mm-hmm. Which, which happens to do when there's a, you know, a, a big name, big vein name, actor kind of running a show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's very common. Remember, I worked for Nick Cage for a long time. So, uh, I do remember that. Yeah. So it's, you know, I was, we were filming the rock when they were filming Nash Bridges in, uh, when they started to film it in San Francisco and Don Johnson's assistant at the time, uh, switched gears and started to work for us while he was on the show. We met him in San Francisco or doing the rock. I'm sure he had a lot of stories to tell you. Yeah. Which I'm not going to mention any of them. I know, I know some of them too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and maybe I'm not sure if we have better stories than you do or if you have better stories than we do, but I'm sure there's a lot of mishmash of them. But yes, I did hear many of them. I, I got, I've got better stories. Okay, good, good, good. Like it never, it never feels like that was that long ago, you know, or like when I'm considered to be like an older writer, it's, it, 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 it's so hard for that to register with me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel it all the time. People like say, well, but you're older, you know, approaching 60 kind of shocks me. You know, it's just like, well, yeah, that's the truth of the matter. But, you know, deep down inside, we both still think we're 25. But let me ask you also. So you started to write and you were writing and working Nash Bridges and then you started to move forward. Now, how do you move to another show and a completely different genre from Nash Bridges and, for example, Dawson's Creek. Like, how does that happen? Or the Ghost Whisperer? Is it because you're part of a team, or is it something that an agent feels you you're going to fit well with another group of writers for another show? Uh, I mean, you know, the process is you go and you interview for shows, and normally an agent will put you up, you know, for shows that you seem right for that that are your genre. Um, I I made a specific attempt to get out of the genre that I was working in because I was working in this sort of action comedy genre, which, which, which wasn't what I felt was my strength. Um, you know, I, I, there was the shows that were like the WB shows, which were sort of the teenage shows at that mm-hmm. time, like CW is now. And I wanted to get into shows like that. So I wrote an episode of Felicity, which was a JJ Abrams show that was, that was on, uh, the WB and that kind of got me into a different, it started making people see that I could do something different and they weren't offering me another, you know, cop in Hawaii kind of show. Hmm. Okay. 
And so as you move with that, do you, do you move as an independent or do you actually work with a couple of other writers and that you kind of say, hey, you know, Joe and Peter and I really work together. Can we kind of like move into, you know, go into Veronica Mars, for example, or are they just new people all the time? You have to tap into their headspace or are they tapping into your headspace in terms of creativity? I've been in both situations where I've been hired, you know, because someone read something that I wrote, uh, read like I had, I had a pilot that, that was made, um, in 2001. And that I used that as a sample for a long time. Mm -hmm. And, um, that got me in a lot of rooms. Um, and it got me in a lot of different shows. Um, but then sometimes you get a call from a friend of yours, like, you know, friends of mine that worked on Nash Bridges, like in the, in the instance of ghost whisper, uh, my friend, John, John Worth was running that show and he just called me up and said, do you want to do this? I said, sure. Wow. Uh, that's, I mean, that's great. But then you always have to like keep working and making sure that you're right for that show. So those are, those are, those are the best situations that you don't have to go in and sell yourself, which is something that I really don't like to do. Yeah. You know, it's nice when your, your friend just vouches for you and you, you know, and you get in a show that way. It's, it's a, it's a lot easier as a process. It's kind of like an actor then. Like, it's, you know, you don't have to audition for Spielberg or somebody. They already know your work. They know who you are yeah. and they're like, oh yeah, hire Joe Smith. Cause he's great for this part. No, it's, it is similar because you're also, when you're going in for a show, um, it is like you're auditioning and you do have to kind of sell yourself. And I'm, I'm not always the best person at doing that. Yeah. But the work stands out uh, by itself. So anybody who's looking for a real writer, a TV writer, they already kind of understand what you're writing. They can just go through, you know, a sample, you know, without selling yourself. But also the, then there's the process of like your sample gets old, like, you know, oh. The sample that I the sample that I was using that got me a lot of work I had written like in 1996. Oh wow! So then you have to like then you have to reinvent yourself and I was always getting pressure from my agent to write something new and you know you you always have to kind of recreate yourself and whatever so that that's you know unless you're just working steadily which I have at certain points in my career you just kind of go from show to show mm -hmm. you do have to keep writing samples and you do have to keep proving yourself you know it it kind of never stops. Wow. So, Jed, I have to ask you, because we're talking about writing stuff as well, just prior to this, or were you always then based in Los Angeles and then do you work at home normally or do you actually go into a studio setting and then collaborate with the writers in person or is it just twice a week, the rest of the time you're on your own to develop these characters or is it five days a week you guys are in some studio setting? Every show is different. The standard is that you work in an office with other writers and, you know, like I'll come in and pitch an idea. And then if it's approved, then I go off and, you know, I'll work it out with the writers first. Like we beat out the story and then I will go home usually and write it. That's the standard. I mean, but that has changed a lot. And I've worked on shows where, you know, I've worked remotely where I like never met the showrunner. I worked on a show in Russia, which is another whole experience. A TV show? Yeah. A half hour. No. A TV show in Russia, in, in English, like American, but just in Russia. No, 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 it was a Russian show. It was, they, they, you know, they, they don't have the infrastructure that we have there. Like they don't have the experience that we have. So yeah. they, they, they used, I don't know if they're, if they're doing this as much anymore. I don't think they do, but they would bring over consultants and you consult on a show and you sort of, you know, like keep the room running and, you know, correct their mistakes and it, it, it was actually really fun. And you obviously have a translator when you're there. 
Yeah, I had a translator. Okay. <laughs> I try. I tried to pick. I mean, it's it's a ridiculous language to learn, especially yeah. at this age. This is five years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it would be like you learning Greek. I mean, because I speak Greek, so it's 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 a very similar alphabet, the Russian and Greek alphabet. So when we were in Greece doing twenty years ago doing Captain Crowley's Mandolin, I also helped, you know, being a translator and speaking in Greek and kind of like translating what was going on while we were filming out there to our American colleagues. So it was I became the translator and stand in and photo double. It was kind of bizarre playing those roles. That's very cool, though. It's yeah. cool to be able to use your many skills. Yeah, I don't know about many skills, but I mean, that was the language I grew up on. So and then English was a second language and uh, that I didn't really accomplish. But, you know, I get by on English now, but that's it. Um, but it, it really came in handy while I was in Greece. And since then, I've done a lot of Greek interviews and all that kind of stuff. But uh, in Greek, of course. But wow, you in Russia, that's amazing. Like actually being there for a few months, I guess. I was there for six months. Wow, that's a lot of time. Yeah. Six months. God, I hope it wasn't in the winter. It was. It, half of it was. Oh. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it, you know, I actually I actually kind of enjoyed it because, because when you live in L.A., you know, the weather here is always the same. And, you know, I grew up in New York City. Yeah. So I, I am used to seasons and I, you know, I am conditioned to kind of go from season to season. So it, and also, like it's it's beautiful there. I mean, it's like the, the snow is really beautiful. So I kind of was. It was kind of nice to have that for a change. Mm, okay. So you've been based in LA then for years, and and working. You ended up also producing or co-executive producing. I don't know what the difference is, uh, Jed. And how do you work that position in there? And what does it mean for somebody who's a writer who trans uh, who transfers his his skills to writer into producer or co-executive producer or co-creating producer. I don't, I don't really know what the difference is. Um, you, kind, you kind of climb the ranks and they, you know, they, your title improves, you know, from show to show. Okay. Um, I mean, I, you know, I was lucky enough to work on Nash Bridges for five seasons and then, you know, you sort of get the, you, you get your title up as you, you know, mm-hmm. have seniority there and whatever. Um, so that, that did kind of accelerate my career, but then, you know, then sometimes you create a show, um, and that's, that's the, I've gotten the executive producer credit for that reason, but co-exec, co-exec is sort of, you're the, you're the right-hand man to the executive producer. So, you know, you're helping them however they need to be helped, but they, you know, you're rewriting a script or you're helping them in the room or, you know, they're not there. So you're running the room. Hmm. So like on Ghost Whisper, you were pretty much that person. Yeah. Was it, are there a few of those people in that position or is it, because I don't know TV, I'm, I kind of know the film world and I'm just, that's what I know. Um, sometimes, but in that case, I don't think there was, um, but sometimes there are. So that elevates your, um, your status in terms of decision-making, I'm going to guess. Yeah. Well, that was this unique situation because the guy that created that show, um, who was running the show, had had a divorce situation with his wife. And so he was in New York a lot of the time. So then I would run the room while he was in New York, which was good for me. Wow. Okay. Well, obviously you've got a lot more to do and a lot more to say, because these are, you know, they're pretty big shows, all of these one after the next, and really you haven't stopped working at all, except for right now, I guess you're just shut down. But otherwise, were you working prior to COVID? Uh, I've been writing TV movies. Okay. And going- Which is a very good- different 
kind of thing than working on a on a you know in a writer's room. I see. Because you're solo. Yeah. Okay. And that's a very solid. It's a very solitary process where you're just working at home, which you know has its has its value and pleasures and you know. Yeah. I see. So that's how do you feel about writing a film, a TV movie versus a TV show? And and would you think of doing feature films? And are you up for it? Uh, I would love to do feature films. I've never been, you know, I've never been in that situation. The TV movies are, 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 are fun to write uh, for me um, because I have a lot of creative control over them in the situation that I've been in. Um, and it's your own it's your own thing rather than servicing someone else's vision. I mean, I, you know, I would rather work on a TV show, just a series, because the money is, is really, really good. Yeah. Um, and I, li- actually, I actually like that community of writers, too, like being in a writer's room with other writers, I like. But um, there's some value to be had in, in, in working alone and, you know, creating your own stuff. And is it uh, in today's world, Jed, uh, just because I'm not 100% sure, is TV a much more lucrative? I mean, not lucrative in terms of monetary value, but I just mean uh, a much more accepted place to be in terms of writing now or TV or TV movies, in your opinion, the thing, because they kind of go through cycles versus a feature film. I find it really difficult to get anything done or produced. What is it better to be on a? I mean, TV is like a machine. There's no, there's no comparing the money between a TV show and a and, and writing a TV movie, unless you're, you know, writing some very high profile thing. And what about any time off when you're on a TV show? Is it kind of like when I was working on a film? We worked 12, 14 hours a day for like six months at a time on a big action film. You had no time off. You did laundry on a Sunday, and that was the end of it. And you had no life, and your back was breaking. Do you feel like while you were on these TV shows, um, was it similar? Were you working those kind of hours? Uh, it depends on the show. Nash Bridges was one of those shows where you, you never, I mean, I was always working on someone else's script or, you know, or I was on the set or, you know, you, it, that was a constant seven day a week kind of thing. Yeah. Lots of rewrites. And on set, meaning on location, because a lot of it was shot on location, like, in, in the, you know, all over the streets and stuff. So yeah. would you be going on to that? Because in, in the film world, as you know, most writers don't really come onto the film set. Yeah. Once in a while they do for a couple of rewrites, for a couple of scenes, maybe. It's very, or they bring in it's, some extra. It's very different when you're in TV, especially because you're a producer um, or if you're a producer, which I was. But also, you know, I worked for a showrunner who really liked to kind of give us experience and get us in the casting room and put us on the set and stuff like that. So it was for me, that's a privilege. I I love to be on set. That's the almost exactly what the uh, two writers of the movie Face Off said, because so during that entire film, which was about six months long, both those writers, Mike Werb and Michael Kaleri, which whom you may know just because of your writing circles, um, also based in LA, of course, uh, were on the set every day. They were also producers, but they were there because John Woo wanted them in there. They wanted them to be part of the casting session. They wanted them to be very involved with the characters and on set on the locations. I'd never really seen that before in all the films I'd done. And uh, John Woo wanted them there. And they were an amazing help and an asset to be on set to really direct certain characters. It was uh, it was great to see. So I, I didn't know how it worked in TV. So it's nice that you had that opportunity. It was a really good movie. Yeah, that was a good movie. They're great guys. I saw them when I was there uh, a few months ago or six months ago now. I love those guys. And they're still working nonstop. I don't know about the second, but they're prob- they could be on hiatus. But yeah, it was a good movie. And I can't believe that came out of somebody's mind, not that writing those scenes crazy just like i see this stuff like this is a big variety of 
characters and locations and genres. Like there's a lot of different stuff that you've done. Is it easy just to switch it up? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, again, you're, you're in TV, you're usually servicing someone else's vision. So you have the blue, you have the blueprint for mm -hmm. the show, which is the pilot. And you kind of try to, you know, imitate the voice of the pilot, you know, the, the person who put together the pilot, unless it is a situation again, like Ghost Whisperer, where it's sort of the network was having a, a lot of trouble trying to decide what the tone of the show should be. And that, that, that does become more difficult, but mm -hmm. in general, no, I mean, I, I really like going from show to show. I like, I like working in different genres. Wow. That's pretty nice. I mean, and, and they're all pretty good. So you feel like you're going to be in this for, for years on end, kind of like a Carl Reiner, kind of like, uh, you know, the old school dudes who've been around there in their nineties. Am I getting close to that age to, to my 90s? No, no, no. You're, you're younger than I am. I think, Jed. no, I'm, I'm only saying that you have this endless youthful ambition to continue writing because now you're going to TV movies and maybe feature films later on. Who knows? But are you seeing this as, as just, you know, a new part of your world? Like, is this where you're going to hopefully focus on? Or are you okay with writing and creating other TV shows as well? Um, I'm happy with whatever comes my way. I just like to work, you know. Wow. That's a very good answer because a lot of people are like almost on the edge of like saying, yeah, I'm going to hit like 55, 60 and like chill out and not really do much because uh, a lot of people can. So they're just like, you know, no. But it's great that you still have that ambition, like, and still to create and move and do all these things. Yeah, I mean, the the reality is, I actually really do enjoy working, for the most part. Why would Why would I want to give that up? It also, I mean, that it it, it is the great thing about being a writer is that you you don't have to be seen on screen. So yeah, that's amazing to be able to do all that stuff and and you know do it from home these days more than ever before, and then continue to have that ambition. I see that in other people who are a lot older than us. And it inspires me when I see people who hit like 70 and 80 and they still want to keep doing things and creating and working. And I know a lot of people, as you do in the business, and it's endless. I have a dear friend of mine who's been in the business forever and she's 77 now. I was with her at her place uh, in November in L.A. And her energy outdid my energy. And she says, I don't want to stop. She says, I want to keep on working and doing things. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I, lo I love seeing that, like Norman Lear, yes. Woody Allen, and people like that that just keep working. Yeah, I follow all those guys on my Facebook, every one of them. You know, they've done the 92nd Street Y as well, and they're, they kind of get together as well. I mean, these guys are really, they're American geniuses, they're legends today, and they're still around in their 90s. And uh, I'm going to guess that you're kind of like wanting to fill in those shoes later on. You've done an awful lot of work. You know, uh, do fans recognize you as one of the writers, for example, of, of Gilmore Girls or, or or one of the other shows? You know, I, I don't know. I'm not sure because it didn't happen to any writers I'd ever met that I had worked with in the past. No, I mean, they're, you know, they're the people that created those shows that 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 sort of get that attention, like Amy Sherman Palladino who created Gilmore Girls and Rob Thomas, who created uh Veronica Mars. And they, they deserve that attention for mm -hmm. sure. It's a good show. And so was the Gilmore Girls. I remember, I guess they were filming in New York. I'd, I'd seen them filming around New York a lot. So I'm guessing it was a, it was actually filmed on location in New York City. The new one. The, the new one. The, the, the one that was on Netflix, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of years ago. Yeah. Because I, I was living in New York at that time. Yeah, the, ori the original was always on the, uh, the Warner Brothers log. Oh, okay. It was a set they, they use a lot. I mean, they really, they, had a, they took over a whole street 
in, in the Warner Brothers lot. It was kind of cool. Wow. A whole street, the Warner Brothers lot, the one in, in, in the valley there? Yeah. That's wow. That's amazing. I mean, there's, a whole, they, there's a whole town that they created for that show. I mean, it was, it was an existing set, this small town kind of set, but they redid it for Stars Hollow to make it Stars Hollow for that show. Wow. Those things are always fascinating. I, you know, we always worked on sound stages, but not like they would redo a whole um, street and stuff. I think that's kind of cool. You know, it's a big difference from TV to to uh, to film work. It's just uh, I, I didn't realize it was that much of a difference. TV is so slow and it just drags on forever when you're on on a set. As far as filming, you mean? Yeah, as far as filming, it's you know, and then the locations. Other than if you're like on a location somewhere. Uh, in terms of the streets, uh, just because you have to film some stuff, for example, National Treasure and being in Philadelphia, you know, you only have a few days to film. So you're running around. It's really action oriented. But the rest of the time, it's, you know, it's just two months on a soundstage to be in that position, you know, working for, for Nick Cage was a was a big deal because there were a lot of perks living around that world with him. Yeah, well, that's that's a, a very different world than TV, that that big budget film world that you were in. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God I was a recipient of some of that. You know, only in the magic of Hollywood, Jed, do things like that actually happen. You have these frivolous positions that suddenly become this needed position. And uh, I ended up capitalizing on it. Uh, and it worked very well. And I learned a lot about filmmaking uh, in the interim, which was even more interesting. He's, he seems like he seems like a very interesting guy. He's a very interesting guy. He's a very generous man. He, like anybody else, has his uh, has his moments of likability or not. But I feel like I, I do as well. When I first when I first moved to Hollywood, I was living in this super like cheesy apartment building in um, in Hollywood in this in the city of Hollywood. It was like this very like old, old falling apart kind of building, and um, and he lived there. And this was like he was I mean, he was making films. This was definitely after, you know, like Valley Girl or, you know, like he was already an established actor hmm. and obviously, you know, had, you know, family connections and whatever. So it was very strange that he was living there. Wow. I would I would I would see him in the elevator and be like, why is he living here? <laughs> like, I, know, I know why I'm living here because I can't afford anything else. But, you know. <laughs> That's funny. I didn't know that he was uh, living in an apartment at that time. So, you know, maybe it's just, you know, that's his way of like, um, you know, being a part of the real world because maybe he didn't come from such a, a normal life. And he really did want to explore that. I, I remember him saying that a lot, that he really, you know, as, as, as down to earth as he could be, that's how you're going to build up character. Yeah. This was 1985. Well, I mean, that is the way to build it up. People like Johnny Depp and so forth all live like that. You know, you have to start something. You have to, like, be that person. You just, you just can't come from some kind of Hollywood royalty and figure it all out. Usually, you have to live through it. And just as you do for yourself to write characters and build characters, you've had to have lived a certain amount of life to have gotten to, you know, understand people. And being from New York and, and living in, in humble beginnings... I think really kind of sets a stage for a lot of stuff. I think that's why all those other big time writers, the Norman Lears and the Carl Reiners, all coming in from that from the Brooklyn area of New York way back then with with nothing and and building up from that. It's from life experiences. Yeah, I mean, it it helps to know what you want to do. You know, I, I I knew I wanted to be a writer when I was in high school. Good for you because a lot of people couldn't get to that point, Jed, and and you did. So it's. It's nice to see that. And you're still a humble guy and you still work and you you just do your thing. 
I started off as an assistant. Yeah. So I, I, I'll, I'll always be humble for that reason. Well, um, Jed, I just want to say, uh, first of all, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, I really appreciate your time. I'm sorry to have taken a little more time out of your day, but I, I definitely appreciate it. Very sweet. It's nice to uh, connect, you know, especially in this in this kind of environment. Yeah, I'm, I'm so happy. I mean, I, I really appreciate it. I mean, it's very sweet of you to do it. You know, and stuff I also learned about TV and I think other people would learn and they'll, you know, they're going to find it to be very interesting as I did. You know, I could go on for hours about it, but I think that we kind of get the gist of how things kind of work and, uh, and that's kind of cool in itself. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Cool. Nice to see you. This concludes our conversation with TV writer and producer Jed Seidel. Until next time, this is Marco Kiris signing off.